0: Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Blow. One of these days I'm going to come in here like Bruce Buffer on UFC Fight Night, but it's not going to be today. Welcome to Locked on Dolphins, power to the pod, your show, your questions. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and you guys did not disappoint on the question front this week. We've got some great questions to get into. Uh, Interesting angles for the Miami Dolphins this offseason as we continue to work our way towards, hopefully training camp and and uh, the regular season starting on time. We still have well, a couple of months before we get to that point. But uh, you guys really kind of came at this with some different angles. Uh, we got 50 questions today. Uh, spoiler alert, we will not get all 50 questions in, and that's fine. But if I do not get your questions on today's episode of Locked on Dolphins, which is brought to you by Built Bar, Swing over to USA Today's Dolphins Wire because I do do daily writing there. I'm the managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, NFL Draft analyst for the DraftNetwork.com. So some draft-related topics, perhaps, getting hit over there, and uh, also keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins because the rest of the week, uh, typically, I like to take one or two of these more in-depth questions and turn them into shows. But I suppose before we get there, Miami Dolphins news of the day. Yesterday slash today, the Miami Dolphins signed Tua Tungavailoa to his rookie contract. Four years, approximately $30 million, a little bit of change in there as well. Uh, $19 million signing bonus, and the whole thing's guaranteed. So uh, is locked in, which is great news for the Dolphins as they look to We'll get the rest of this rookie class settled. Defensive lineman Raekwon Davis signed yesterday as well. So we are continuing to see systemic progress. And with the, the biggest domino having fallen in Tua, it's hard to imagine the Dolphins are going to get this rookie class locked and loaded and, and locked in. Uh, as far as Tua and the financials go... 30 million over four years I believe I saw the average his annual average salary working out to be like 7.6 million when it's all said and done uh, works out I think to be like the sixth or seventh highest paid dolphin on the roster uh in 2019 or in 2020. I would say this you know we talk a lot about the winning with a quarterback on a rookie contract window if you will if all goes well, we're going to have to pay Tua a ton of money in four or five years. Let's not put the cart before the horse. We need to win with Tua first. But financially speaking, the Dolphins are in a strong position where they're going to be paying a quarterback. We need to see the exact financials, but in a minimum for the first three years of this contract, I can't imagine they're going to be paying him $10 million. $10 million is the number five overall pick with the escalations uh, throughout the course of the life of the contract, the annual average salary, uh, obviously getting a big lump of his signing, uh, his money with his signing bonus up front. His cash due this year is going to end up being like 19 mil. And then the Dolphins, from a salary cap perspective, their next conflict will be... Uh, how to attack the fifth-year option, and the fifth-year option has changed quite significantly with the new uh, collective bargaining agreement that was passed this offseason. The way that that works now is there are escalators in performance. If you make a Pro Bowl as an original ballot nominee, uh, you're upgraded to uh, the transition tender cost for your position. If you make two Pro Bowls, you're upgraded to the franchise tag uh, cost for your position for your fifth year option. So, you know, if Tua goes out and makes a couple pro bowls here, we're looking at a franchise tag price for him for his fifth year option. But if he goes out and makes two pro bowls as a young quarterback, it makes it a no-brainer, right? You just you, you have to start paying that market value sooner rather than later. Tua would have a very small strike zone to get into this because I don't anticipate he's going to play the full season as a rookie this year. And to get that franchise tender cost for your fifth-year option, you have to make two Pro Bowls. So that would mean Tua would have to make the Pro Bowl in years two and three in order for him to activate that franchise tender, unless he surprises us all and comes out and blows Ryan Fitzpatrick out of the water, which, hey, never say never who is an extremely talented quarterback. Health is the only question. Not the only question, but the most obvious question. Still need to see him play at the pro level, but I feel really great about his prospects transitioning. So by the time this is all said and done, assume Tua makes one Pro Bowl. That fifth-year option will probably be somewhere around $25 million by the time you account for inflation of of salaries with the the rising salary cap in future years and so on and so forth. That would mean we've paid two of five years. 55 million will end up being the average. It's good value. Let's go out. Let's win us uh, some playoff games. Power to pod time today. Had a... Martin, Martin, you're gonna be real disappointed, my man. I <laughs> put out on social. Uh your questions for the show. What are we talking about tomorrow? Martin said, uh whatever you want, this will never get answered. Well, I just answered, Martin. You didn't ask a question, my man. Uh Jonah wants to know if six and ten is okay if the Dolphins show good development in 2020. Yeah, so y'all are going to get real mad at me, but one of the things that I'm doing this offseason is some reading, and I'm reading a book by one uh, Nick Saban, and the book is called How Good Do You Want to Be? And Saban talks in there about his systemic approach to coaching, and he wrote it when he was at LSU, before he came to Miami, and then before he left to go back to Alabama, and and we're not supposed to like Nick Saban, and I get it, but like, Great coach. The curse is over because we have Tua to forgive the passing of Breeze. I'm not going to open up that can of worms again. Go down that rabbit hole. But Saban talks a lot about not watching the scoreboard and not setting numbers as expectations. Focus on the process. Being the best version of yourself that you can be, and the results are, are bound to follow. So I think for the Dolphins, especially in 2020, year two of a rebuild, tough draws with the AFC and NFC West. I don't want to put a number on the Dolphins, and the Dolphins shouldn't put a number on the Dolphins and say, well, if we're not 500 or better, we failed this season. Well, there's a lot that goes into that. So I do think there is a pathway for 6-10 and 10 being an improvement season for the Miami Dolphins and that being an exciting springboard for them to then improve uh, again in 2021. Uh, El Ciciento wants to know what a football game would look like in the fall if COVID restrictions are in place, in your humble opinion. Would the NFL or any professional sport really play without fans? I have no idea, uh, and I'm not really qualified to talk about what the restrictions are as somebody who's just a sports guy who's hoping we get some football games uh i i would say this we are far enough away where i feel like the nfl with their resources and the improvements that we're going to have presumably have in treatment and testing and tracing you would think and this seems to be what the the nfl is is operating under the assumption as is that we are still a ways enough away where enough improvements can be made where it infrastructure, and system can be put in place that will help keep this thing stable. Will that actually materialize? Who knows? I hope so. Mal Swift, which, if any, free agents remaining would you bring in? This is an interesting question because there's some pretty big names still left out there on the market. You've got Cam Newton, a quarterback, who's a non-factor for the Dolphins. Larry Warford, Logan Ryan, Jadavion Clowney, some good names left out on the free agent market still. Would I bring any of them in for the Dolphins? Larry Warford is reportedly looking for $7 million a year. I would bring Larry Warford in on a two-year $15 million contract. I would. And I would let him walk in day one and be the best offensive lineman on the Dolphins offensive line. Right now, right guard is our biggest question mark, especially if Robert Hunt is going to be getting tested at tackle. Because um, now at guard, you're talking Solomon Kindly, Michael Dieter, Jesse Davis, as a three-headed monster competing for one starting spot. Uh, and whilst they invested a lot of young bodies some good scheme fit prospects. Larry Warford, which we talked about yesterday is a good enough player that I wouldn't let my investments in young players preempt me from bringing Larry in on a a short term contract, a two year deal and saying, okay, you know, like you come in, play, be an asset right away. This is a win for you because you don't have to wait super long to get your next contract. You can hit the free agent market again at 31 and cash out and get another big deal. Uh, Joe Goggs, what do the Dolphins do with JaKeem Grant? Uh, I think in a perfect world, Jakeem Grant continues to be like wide receiver four for your football team. Uh, the special team's impact is undeniable. When he touches the ball in open space, he can be electric. But I think if you try and make him into an every-down receiver... You're going to continue with what the Dolphins have struggled with each of the last two years, which is some durability questions. Jakim's a good football player, but at the end of the day, like you're five seven, 170 pounds, whatever he is, it's a physical game that's going to wear on you. And we've seen Jakim now two couple of years uh, struggling to stay healthy through the back end of the season. I think he's he he's not going anywhere. You know, he's got good uncoachable traits in his speed and explosiveness. He's a good personality. He's a good person. He works hard. They just have to find that right role for him that involves a handful of touches that make the most out of him and and get him in the special teams game. I think that's the, the pathway for optimal success for Jakeem Grant. Oh, here's a good one. Tone Toto. I know it's a little early, but which current dolphins coming up are going to be in a contract year? Let me get my producer to pull that up. And while I have my producer pulling that up, I want to talk to you guys about our sponsor for today's episode, Built Bar. We have a special offer for all of you listening. BuiltBar.com. Some of the best protein bars you will taste. I guarantee it. Promo code locked on gets you $10 off your first box. These things have one-seventh the carbs and sugar of an average protein bar and still have more protein than an average protein bar. They're light. They're enjoyable to eat. They, they eat like candy bars, not like leather. BuiltBar.com, promo code lockdown gets you $10 off your first box. See what all the fuss is about. BuiltBar.com, promo code lockdown, $10 off your first box. So the question from Tone Toto was which Dolphins are in free agency in 2021? Courtesy of our friends over at SpotTrack.com, which I might as well make my homepage these days. Uh, The following Dolphins are entering contract years. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 38 years old. Matt Breida who's on a one-year, $3.26 million restricted free agent uh, tender. So that's why he's a uh, free agent again this year. Wide receiver Albert Wilson, that is uh, after his restructure. Uh, he's now playing for $3 million in base salary and uh, some escalator bonuses. Uh, that could help elevate. He's got a million dollars in incentives at his disposal. Camus Grugler-Hill signed a one-year deal for $3 million. Ted Karras signed a one-year deal for $3 million. Karras is the interesting one for me, really. Uh, I, I don't think anything about his contract preempts him from not winning a starting job. Obviously, his relationship with Flores and Patriots staffers now in Miami made this a, a sensible signing and Karras did well stepping in for David Andrews, but like Michael Dieter's played 10 plus games at Wisconsin at center. And I know Michael Dieter was not good this past year, but the people around Michael Dieter were hot trash. So I would not necessarily rule out and Karras. I mean, Dieter's probably got 15 pounds on Ted Karras. So if we're talking about, again, guys that are are mobile and, uh, Can move, but have some girth and and density to them. Maybe Dieter pushes Karras. I'd like to see that competition play out in training camp. Uh, Vince Beagle, who signed a restricted free agent tender, will be back uh, in a contract year situation again this year. Matt Hack, Elan and Roberts, who signed a one-year $2 million deal. Perhaps the biggest name here is Raekwon McMillan and and Devon Godshell. Those are the two big names that I don't think the Dolphins will be stressed to sign if they want to. I would be surprised if they don't. Uh, Raekwon obviously is a a great asset in the box. Uh, Looked at some of his numbers and and what the Dolphins did with him differently this year versus 2018 with Adam Gase. and It was pretty eye-opening to see that he played played 83% of the snaps. In 2018 under Adam Gase. And he gave up like. 83% completion. On a monstrous number of targets. 39 targets. And 6 touchdowns in 2018. You move forward to 2019 under Brian Flores. And the snap count was down below 50%. He only played 515 snaps. But. He was only targeted 12 times in coverage. His, his, coverage or his target rate was quartered by removing 25% of the snaps that he played. It's good coaching. Use your players where they're strong, not where they're weak. That's what Flores did best with McMillan throughout the course of 2019. Fred Haddocks wants to know if we should expect any top-line trades from our beloved Dolphins like last year, which we saw Mika Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil hit the road. Um, I'd be surprised. This year, I will say that the Dolphins have it structured quite well that if they wanted to move on from Xavier and Howard based on uh, if they have frustrations with uh, durability, or what they're paying him and what they're due to pay him in base salary. He's movable after this year. I don't think that's the plan. But if Xavian struggles again to stay on the football field, having missed 11 games last year and the last four games of the season before that, and nine games is rookie season in 2016, only playing 16 games once in 2017, I think that's something to watch as a subplot, but I don't think that's imminent. I don't think that's the plan. I don't think that's in the cards, but the Dolphins have the flexibility to do it, which is at least worth mentioning. Uh, Speaking of Xavier, Jack Ross, have we heard anything on Zavian Howard's pending disciplinary actions? Early on, there was talk of a four to six game suspension. Do you believe that factor was... Included with the Noah Igbahagany selection. I would be very surprised if a potential four to six game absence influenced the dolphins with a first round pick. Uh, you don't make that selection in my mind for covering your rear end for four to six games in season one of that player's contract. Um, I do think they play different roles as well. I think Bahogany in the slot, kind of more of an alley defender and tackler and Xavier more perimeter corner kind of press man outside who's going to play turn and run and, and give depth off the line of scrimmage where Bahogany is going to be charged with more triggering down into the run and, and be an edge support player uh, as well as his responsibilities and coverage. I don't think Howard's potential disciplinary issues would have weighed into that decision. Do we know what the situation is? And if he's going to get disciplined, no, we don't. Uh, I would expect he'll probably get something, maybe a couple games. But uh, that legal issue, at least legally, uh, has the book's been closed on it, so here's hoping that it, it helped provide a valuable life lesson for Zavian, and you know, he he learned from that situation to prevent himself from acting in in that manner moving forward. This was a good question from Kyle, but I really don't think you can look at it this way. Uh, he said, since we didn't use the Texans' picks for two and we essentially traded Minka for Noah, do you think we're in a better or worse position for 2020? If we didn't do those trades, obviously we won't know until we see who we get next year from the Texans picks. Let me ask you this. If Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsler are on the Dolphins team in 2019, are they still five and eleven? Or do they find a way to win a couple more games? Because that's how I'm kind of electing to look at it. Um and as you said, Kyle, you know, the not knowing the full package for Tunsil until we get a a first and second round pick next year. Um, this is still a to be determined, but I don't think there's any question if Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil are on the team last year, Dieter plays better. So you've improved two positions in the offensive line because you have some stability next to him at left tackle. Say what you will about Minka and his piss poor attitude in Miami. Uh, a good football player and had a potential to make a very high impact. And you saw the impact he made for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think the Dolphins are five and 11. And if they're not five and 11, then all of a sudden now we are giving up future picks to go up and get to if we decided he was our guy and if we had a market to, to jump up and get him. So Instead of having three ones this year and two ones next year and two twos in each of the, this past year and the, and next year, you're talking about probably having one, one between the next two years and probably giving up a two as well. So you'd have one, one and one, two versus three ones and four twos. <laughs> so... Um, Listen, the the Tunsil deal was one of those situations where it didn't make sense to pay him because they're going into a rebuild and you were getting a monstrous amount of assets to get him. And Micah just didn't want to be here. And in year one, I respect the fact that the Dolphins had enough conviction in their process and their coach to say we would rather have a coach who's able to instill his program and his culture without being interrupted by a bad attitude in Micah Fitzpatrick. No one player is above the program and above the team. Do I wish they could have worked it out? Absolutely. But they didn't. So I think in the grand scheme of things, from an asset perspective, from a team culture perspective, and from the path that we took is we know we got two on versus if we took the other path, I don't think we necessarily are in a position to get to a beat by being 5-11. and 11. I think we're better off now. This question, um, it's a little out of left field, but it was too good not to at least address uh, egregious film and the greatest cinematic feature in the history of film. This is arguable at best, but I'm going to go with it. The Leprechaun. The primary focus is obviously on the villain, although Jennifer Aniston rose from her standing to become the icon she is today. Which current Dolphins player will have a similar Aniston-style rise this season? So who is a supporting cast player? who is going to enter into a starring role in 2020. Jeez. Give me Mike know, He he showed some good improvements, some redeeming qualities, some good production down the stretch. You look at the way uh, Tua happened to to find a lot of Irv Smith throughout his time as the starting quarterback. And I think that there's enough there for Gesecki long-term to be the player the Dolphins thought he could be when they drafted him in the second round. You know, if you would ask me this twelve months ago, I would have not been enthusiastic or optimistic about Mike Goseki. He obviously changed that narrative quite a bit with his play this past season. Meanwhile, uh Cliffy Max in the doghouse with his significant other. My wife recently pointed out that I cried when Miami drafted Tua, but I didn't cry at our wedding. What can I tell her to justify my emotions and get me out of the doghouse? Oh God. Cliff, jeez, Louise, man. Um, listen. Try this. Uh, explain to your wife that you know, unlike her, the dolphins have never reciprocated your love. You know, you know, you and your wife, you love each other every single day. The dolphins, you love the dolphins, but the dolphins have never reciprocated your love by giving you the success that you have craved for the last twenty years. And them making an investment in a player that you believe is going to take them to that point is their first sign of reciprocated love between the Dolphins and you uh, in a long time. And that that made it a very emotional moment. I have no guarantees on whether that's going to work or not. And if it doesn't, Godspeed and best of luck to you. Um, Morgan Lewis, first when and how did you become a Dolphins fan? I used to live in Georgia as a kid, and um, kind of got hooked on the dolphins. Then they were on local TV a lot. This was early '90s, so saw a lot of them early on. And, and Dan was obviously the, the ability to throw the football and sling the pill around um, was exciting, and it kind of caught and captivated me from an early age, and uh, never got off the bandwagon. I, you know, I've lived up in the greater Philadelphia area for the vast majority of my life. I'm in Northern Delaware now, uh, but we will be down. If there's training camp, we're going to be down for training camp. Definitely going to make it to a couple games this year, so we're going to have to hook up with you guys. Uh, Morgan, the other second half of your question is second, how do you get access to college game film for all the scouting you do for TDN? I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So I don't want to do that. You seem like a nice guy. John Heine, hope it's Heine, Heen Heine, best childhood breakfast cereal on partial Cinnamon Toast Crunch, it's a good pool, um, I also like Golden Grahams a lot, I know it's kind of a niche cereal, but that has been a go-to for me, the milk afterwards is excellent. Uh, ben Bruce, we got a couple left here. How long of a leash will Fitz get this year? I'm actually hoping they le- they actually let Tua take the job on his own performances and not throw him into the fire too early. I don't think you have to worry about them throwing him to the fire too early. If anything, I think they will be overly cautious with him. Um, meanwhile, Jason asked, Isn't it kind of disrespectful to Fitz with all the talk about when will Tua get to play? Fitz was the bright spot last year and has been nothing but professional since he got here I don't think it's disrespectful and, and it's because as you said he has been a consummate professional. He knows the deal. He's 38 years old. He's in a contract year like you're not the long-term guy, Ryan. Like of course that transition's going to have to happen at some point. So I don't think he's disrespected by it. You know, there was, you know, all of the talk about forcing Rosen into the lineup and that quarterback competition and he's 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 done this his entire career been an endless cycle of well I outperform the starter I get the starting job I play well for a stretch and then I kind of regress back to the the law of averages and then I get benched and then I outperform the starter again and then I take the starting job so it's like that's kind of his life cycle as a quarterback at this point and him being 38 years old and having to confirm that yes I'm playing in 2020 and yes I'm coming back And him being in a contract year, I think everybody knows the writing on the wall. So no, I don't think it's disrespectful to Fitz, and I hope he doesn't take it that way. As of right now, those are all the questions I'm going to tackle, because we do have to do a quick crossover with our friends from Locked On Chiefs. So we're doing this continued crossover series with... Uh, the other Locked On teams that are on the Dolphins schedule for this upcoming season. So I had a chance to talk with Ryan Tracy from Locked On Chiefs and had a good conversation about Kansas City and where they're at as a team and their life cycle. I hope you guys enjoy this crossover with Locked On Chiefs. We are joined now with a very special guest, Ryan Tracy of Locked on Chiefs. Uh, we've been doing some of these crossovers over the course of last week and this week, and I'm really thrilled to have Ryan on the show and, and get everybody a chance to talk to uh, somebody who's experienced something Miami Dolphins fans have not experienced for a really long time. Postseason success, Ryan, <laughs> congratulations on, a, on an excellent 2019 season. And first thing I'd like to know is what's it like to win a playoff game? You know, it, it took a while. It's it's only been recent <laughs>
0: memory, right? Um, there was a long, long drought before this year. Um, I, I'm pretty happy with it. I gotta say, you know, as as a fan, uh, somebody who's followed the team for a long time, makes me happy. As as an analyst, I'm still kind of blown away sometimes that they made all these pieces work
1: to get to that championship. But hey, you'll take it, right? Absolutely. And I think that's that's an interesting. Watching the Chiefs' evolution as a team has been interesting and I'd like your input on this as far as you know getting Patrick Mahomes obviously being a, the continuation of quarterbacks on rookie contracts and that being your optimal window to win and how that's relevant for Miami now having signed Tua Tagovailoa uh, as of yesterday um Ryan what what was the most challenging jigsaw of pieces I know offensively Kansas City Felt like they were pretty set coming into the year. Defensively, it seemed like they were. They went really aggressive, bringing in Frank Clark and some of the other pieces. What was the most challenging or surprising piece of what Kansas City did ahead of 2019 that allowed them to come together? And, and obviously, once Patrick Mahomes got healthy after a midseason injury, allowed them to go on this postseason run.
0: You know, really, the big question, Mark, was how can they adapt to the Steve Spagnuolo system? And obviously, with Frank Clark up front and Tyron Matthew in the back, that gives you two anchor points. But building around them was really the big question. I think the emergence of Juan Thornhill playing up to, honestly, where I had him stacked pre-draft, that was yeah. a nice culmination, right? And with with Emmanuel Aguilar and Alex Okafor and the emergence of Tano Passigno, who had been... Uh, a foregone conclusion that he wasn't going to contribute prior to Spagnuolo's arrival. I think they really just threw everything at the wall and got a rotation going that ended up paying off in the end that I don't know that they could have been supremely confident in when they started. it.
1: Now, as we look at Kansas City, moving forward now, obviously not a not a great chance to make a lot of impact in free agency. You know they're kind of tight on the cap space, and and some of that is played into with Chris Jones being on the franchise tag. There was some talk pre-draft about Jones being a movable piece. Is that still the perception? Do we feel like Jones is now going to be a part of the twenty twenty season in Kansas City? What's the vibe on Chris Jones? Because impact players like Chris Jones, you know, it's pretty rare for them to become available, a, and Kansas City with the pending extension for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it seems like the the numbers are a little difficult. What's the gauge there? I think that that's
0: exactly it. The numbers are the difficult part. There was talk that there were a couple of interested parties prior to the draft, and when it didn't emerge on draft night, uh, you knew pretty much that the cost of doing business with Chris Jones in terms of an extension in this year where there's a lot of question marks at this point about mm-hmm. what that cap's going to look like and how much they're going to have to spend. I think it's just a lot of buyer beware, um, not taxing yourself cap wise too far, but you can't get anything else done. So I don't, I don't think that there's anybody that really feels that a trade is still in the works or or even a possibility, maybe after another season of, of high output, you could re tag and trade possibly Mm -hmm. that's about the outer scenario at this point. Um, I think, honestly, what they're marching towards is really the worst-case scenario in that he plays this year on the tag, and they're unable to reach an agreement. Uh, Right now, there's not much movement, and we hear that uh, there's not a whole lot of communication either.
1: Okay. And and has Chris signed his tender?
0: Not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. Uh, He is not participating in their virtual offseason. So
1: there's a lot of uh, little tick boxes that have to be done just to get him to show up. It's kind of, if you think back to the Jadavion Clowney situation and Miami knows all about this, you know, it's if, if that tender goes unsigned past, you know, into the summer months, then you really, as a team lose all the leverage. And that's Clowney flexed his leverage on both Miami and Houston in axing the trade uh, in August that would have sent him to the Dolphins. Uh, So that'll be an interesting storyline to watch. Uh, as we move closer and closer towards the season. Ryan, I wanted to talk to you uh, about Kansas City's first-round pick, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. For all of the running backs don't matter chatter that goes on these days, Kansas City, I really liked what they did in taking the strength of their team and doubling down to really play to it. Was that the reasoning as far as what you've heard in the aftermath of the draft for targeting Clyde? Was it a matter of... You know, who else was on the board? They didn't like their other options? Or was this really just, look, we know what we do well. We want to be as dynamic as possible at that? Well, I think it's a, a small combination. We have to remember that Brent Veach
0: has worked for Andy Reid for a very long time. And that relationship and being on the same page, I think, is what drives everything about this organization right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that you got Sammy Watkins back at a reduced deal and you basically have all your pass catchers in place, there's not many places they could truly upgrade. It was either offensive line or one spot you could consider was the running back. And once Brett Veach and his post-draft conference call, uh, we get on and he's just giddy to the point where I told Coach he was going to like what he saw. I sent it to him and he actually thought he was better than Westbrook. And when you have guys like they had in Philly to compare to when you have that kind of emotional instant reaction to what you see on film, I think that makes it just a foregone conclusion.
1: Yeah, I really like it. That's that's something that I've talked about with with my Dolphins fans uh, regarding team identity and investing in positions versus just checking the box, right. And, and Kansas city being completely invested in their offense. It would have been really easy to let Sammy Watkins go for a reduced rate or, or to run it back with Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson. Uh, I guess my next question for you, Ryan would be in relation to, to Patrick Mahomes uh, and his play, because the quarterback position for Miami fans is such a hot button issue. How much better do you think Patrick can get, which seems crazy to ask because of the production that he's had for two years as a starter. But, you know, with everybody coming back as far as his skill position players and and really playing to his strengths and the the speed that they have, what, what do you feel like the continued ceiling is for Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback? I think it's pushing it
0: farther and farther. Obviously, this was a down year, missed a few games with a significant injury. So Mm -hmm. you have to kind of discount that a little bit. But I do expect him to get roughly back to a midpoint between what happened in 19 and the production he had in, in 18 because of all those factors and the fact that defenses, teams around the league are trying to score points with them because I don't think that they feel that they can truly stop them. And I think that the lack of preseason really plays into Pat Mahomes' favor. He's a guy physically that isn't going to get a whole lot better. Um, I think it's pretty miraculous, the, the recovery that he had from that kneecap dislocation. Mm-hmm. But honestly, mentally, I don't know. I can't remember the show that he was on. I think it was on HBO where he admitted he really couldn't read defenses till halfway through the previous season. Uh, mentally, I, uh, I'd put him at probably about 80% of his potential. So I think there's a significant upside to him still.
1: Now, we we think about the Chiefs offense and – The question that I wanted to ask you next pertains to, you know, you said not a lot of teams rightfully so feel like they can stop Patrick Mahomes, but we did see at least one instance of a team slowing this offense down this past year, and it was the Indianapolis Colts uh, who had some success in that game. And Mahomes threw 39 pass attempts in that game. What specifically was it? If I'm going to sell a pitch for a game plan to Dolphins fans as far as Here's how you can at least slow them down. What was it in that game?
0: It goes back to uh, what we talked about, being able to be multiple and not give things away. I think what they did very well in that particular game was not give him the keys that he's used to seeing on film. They changed things up enough that what he was keying on didn't come to reality. They had a decent pass rush on him. His offensive line was not whole in that particular game. So I felt like he rushed his processing quite a bit and that threw him off as well so if you can give him the same personnel groupings on defense and do different things make sure that you are moving it around I think that that's the only the way that you can do it and you have to have the athletes in order to play multiple coverages multiple sets out of the same grouping so it's a challenge but it can certainly be done
1: and that's music to Dolphins fans years knowing who Brian Flores aspires for his football team to be Uh, Kyle Krabs with Ryan Tracy from Locked On Chiefs. Dolphins fans, if you know any Chiefs fans, Ryan's your guy. Make sure you tell them to go listen to Locked On Chiefs. Ryan, really appreciate the time and talking ball, and uh, I wish you well this summer and hope you stay safe. And and here's to us hooking back up again in the fall when it's time to play this football game, my friend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That'll be fun. Take it easy on your eyes with all that film.
1: Yeah, right? That's going to put the ball it for us here on Locked On Dolphins today. Hope you guys enjoyed. Power to the pod. Crossover Locked On Chiefs. Talking to a contract situation and what the, the five-year option might look like for him. Lots of good stuff to get into. And you guys, you know, you brought plenty of more good questions. So like I said at the top of the show, swing on over to USA Today's Dolphins Wire for some additional written conversation pieces on some of the questions that you guys brought to the table. You guys did a great job with it. We will be back again tomorrow to pick up with the rest of our week. Kyle Krabs signing off. Thanks, as always, for listening to Locked On Dolphins.